The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your co-host. Today is Sunday, so it's time for the Limeys for a show entitled Apocalypse Then and Now with my co-host Malifka Scott. So let's bring him up right now. Malifka, are you with us? I'm back with you, Andy, back with you and the good listeners on an incredibly misty Cornish morning. I can see about, I don't know. 200 feet and that's about it it's really really low visibility down here at the moment so uh yeah it's nice to be uh tucked up inside in the nice warm room chatting to you excellent uh, likewise and it's uh 10:25 a.m here in the uk this sunday february the 18th making it 5:25 a.m on the east coast of america and 2:25 a.m on the west coast of america so welcome to wherever you are listening throughout the world um and before we get into today's limey show i just want to draw your attention to today's traditional christian message entitled sanctity of life to a conversation with an abortionist a seven minute show written by dr peter hammond that i put up earlier on achshow.com so please check that out if it is of interest so Mlifkus, what have you been up to since we recorded our last show that you would like to share with me in the audience over to over to you well, a couple of things. Uh, my mum's been turning out her, her house and, and brought up a folder of stuff, as I said uh, last week. And uh, one of the things that was in amongst it was, you'll, you'll love this, Andy, a vinyl LP of the Fraggle Rock album. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I think that was the second album I ever bought. <laughs> uh, no, but apart from that, uh, my car's been in the garage again. So... Um, as of i didn't work on friday and uh it's actually you know i'm the only driver in the house and sometimes it's really nice not to have a car i'm just going to leave it at that (laughs) how about you well um on last week's show i mentioned i started re-watching the sopranos again i got through most of season one as it had quite a lot of humor in it But season two got quite nasty, so I didn't progress beyond that. And I also stopped listening to Talking Sopranos episode, the last one of season two. Uh, I'm now listening to some Ricky Gervais, Carl Pilkington and Stephen Merchant audio from their XFM days. So going through that. 
I did also look at An Idiot Abroad and The Moaning of Life, which Carl Pilkington did, but it just got sort of wearing after a while. It, it, I found Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant in the, An Idiot Abroad with all their sort of call-ins to Carl, a lot of which apparently were done post-production, so they were fake anyway. Um, very condescending, and a lot of his sort of sort of stupid remarks. They were funny at first, but then they got quite wearing. So I watched a bit and then scanned through it. So I'm literally I'm I'm down to nothing. <laughs> yes, I'm, uh, yesterday I um, went to a charity shop, and I decided before you know you see all these sort of like uh, episodes from TV series. It's all very cheap now. I picked up um, it was two DVDs for a pound, and I like police dramas and stuff. Uh, I never really rated, a t- I was never attracted to a touch of Frost. I've never been a big, probably one of the only people in Britain who's not a big fan of David Jason because most people in the UK say their favourite comedy is only Fools and Horses, which he's the lead actor. But I've never been a great fan of, of his and I never certainly saw him as a detective. Um, but I remember seeing an episode and it was nothing, it was a good story with him in it and I saw a few of these DVDs and some of them had two in there you know two discs so you got two episodes in there and they're according to Wikipedia 75 minutes to 100 minutes per episode so I got a couple with two discs in each so that's what 25p an episode so I've got four of them to watch um next time that uh, I want to watch something um but and the other thing is I was in another charity shop with uh, Amanda and there was a copy of The Father and I've got the DVD, I'm holding it right now. And the reason I was a couple of minutes late phoning you today, Maleficus, is that I watched it this morning. And um, quite honestly, with all the different characters becoming different people, by the end of it, I was wondering if I was the one who had Alzheimer's. <laughs> but uh, um, I'll hand over your comments in a moment. I was in another charity shop with Amanda, and um, I saw buy one DVD, get one free. And I sort of looked at this, and I picked it up before and I was like well my mum's got this you know do I really want to watch a film like this Malifka said it was such an accurate uh, performance of course um, uh, Anthony Hopkins got the best actor his second best actor Oscar for it was awarded in 2021 um, there is a deleted scenes of five minutes because I've got that queued up and there's a French virtual premiere Q&A with director Florian Zeller, Anthony Hopkins and Oliver Coleman. I will say there were quite a few, more than quite a few, behaviours that he demonstrated that I've seen in my mother. And quite honestly, a lot were worse with my mother. Um, And it made me feel in some ways that it's irrelevant in a way because she's happier where she's living now than I've seen her in years. But regardless of that, she couldn't have continued at home. I sort of, this film helped me understand that. Um, Malifka, any comments on the film or anything else? It's over to you. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as I said before, he did such a good job. He must have studied. It, it's not so much the the scripting it's the physical mannerisms that he manifests in the film are were so well researched and so well reenacted that uh, it re- yes it really does bring it home to you doesn't it um it's, it's not a surprise he got award an award for his part in that film uh, having been around 
dementia. You know, I spent a good three, three, five years around dementia, people with dementia. I, yeah, I really, <laughs> I, I really rate his performance on that. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you got something from the film, Andy, because, you know, it, it's actually, it's quite a heartrending film, isn't it? You know, um, but uh, yeah, he, he did really, he did a really, really good job in that film, I have to say. That's one of the mo- most recent um, fictional films I've watched, actually. So there you go. Yeah, and um, I must admit, it's not something that I, I would watch again, but in the early part of it, watching it there, and I've kind of sort of been prepped by you, the acting was so good, and I thought these early scenes were just amazing. And then yeah. it was quite a touching scene at the end. But... Um, you can understand why he won it, but he didn't think he was going to win it because Anthony Hopkins is very big at going to these awards ceremonies and things, and he had to fit, uh, submit his speech via video link because he wasn't expecting to win. That's why I didn't turn up, even <laughs> though I was nominated. Um, uh, anyway, just give you um, the just may as well run through these quickly off the DVD cover. Uh, five. These are all. Every review here is five star. Okay. Uh, the Guardian, Hopkins and Coleman are superb. The Times, one of the great cinematic experiences of the decade. Radio Times, Hopkins gives the career best performance. And then you've just got five stars from Empire, uh, The Independent, The Daily Mail, The Sunday Times, The Daily Express, uh, and Hey You Guys, whatever that is. And then Metro yeah. called it a dazzling piece of cinema. Well worth a watch, especially at... It um, is especially at 50p, which uh, what basically happened. <laughs> uh, um, I looked at it and I sort of thought, no, I don't want to watch that. And then Amanda pulled the DVD out. She said, I'm going to get that. And I said, oh. I said, well, it's buy one, get one free. Have you seen this, Amanda? I said, you work with P in a, in a care home with these sort of people. Maybe this will be interesting. She says, oh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I said, great. You go and get them then. And I said, but leave this one here. Don't take it home with you uh, that day. And so she left it there and I watched it this morning. So, uh, yeah, I would that, certainly that recommend that. scene at the beginning, Andy, where he's trying to work out how to put his jumper on. That, that, uh, as soon as that little scene hit, I was like, I, I've, I've got the key of this film. I know, I, I know where this is going. And wow, what an amazing little scene that was. Yeah. And um, I thought the, you know, I, th- I thought all the actors and actresses, I thought, are you allowed to say actresses anymore? Um I thought they were all excellent, and some of them I recognised. I never, ever thought I'd see a guy out of the League of Gentlemen acting with Anthony Hopkins, but he was very good, and I imagine that he was delighted as well, because I know they're all big horror fans at the League of Gentlemen. They even did the the commentary for the film Theatre of Blood, which is one of my favourite horror films that Jimmy and I did a show on, because... uh, it's a Vincent Price film in which uh, people are killed off in a Shakespearean manner by a disgruntled actor, and it was one of their favourite films. So I could imagine when Mark Gattis was doing that, that he would never have thought that he'd be acting with Hannibal Lecter. Do you know what I mean? One-on-one, yeah, yeah, yeah. starting off on radio and then British television and obviously going to that. So congratulations on that. Um, as I say, scratching around for stuff to watch. So I also had another look at my... Better Call Saul box set. For me, this is one of the most disappointing series of all time, which I would not have invested the money and the time watching it had I known my feelings when I had finished it. Uh, 
The first few minutes of the first episode of each season shows what Saul is up to in the present day after he escaped to rest for his involvement in Walter White's Breaking Bad Drug Empire. So my rewatch of this took only a couple of hours out of a 52-hour series. I watched the first few minutes of the first episode of each of the six seasons and then bits of the last three episodes of the series which reveal how Saul ended up. And the other thing that I did, I was out for Amanda for our Valentine's Day meal. Well, it was the day before, Valentine's Day Eve, because she only gets the Tuesdays and the Saturday off. We went to Nando's, which we both like. And I made some comment at one point that I thought about getting my hair cut. And she said, yes, yes, go and get your hair cut, get your hair cut, because it is an absolute mess, folks, because I've let it grow. Um, Not for any fashion reason. Well, you'd know that. It definitely wasn't that if you'd have seen me with it. But uh, it was more that... In that first lockdown, you know, if you have your hair done, cut by a barber, and they do clippers here, and they cut it there and all that, I imagine many of you were struggling to try and make it look presentable. But what I was trying to do was to grow my hair, you know, from the top, going right down to, say, where my neck is, top of my neck, where your hair generally ends if you have it cut normally. So if suddenly they pull this bullshit on us again... um. It's not going to matter because when your hair is that sort of length, essentially, I did go and get a haircut. And the last time I saw was well over a year ago, probably nearer two. And I just said to the guy, look, all I want you to do is cut the back to its what it should be. It's normal short length. Just go, go along and cut it. And then on the rest of my hair, just take like as little as you can. So just take half an inch off to, you know, and that's what he did. Um, and so now when I do my, in the morning, I sort of blow dry my hair back and I just put this product through, I think VO5 or something, and it just sets it so that I look like Phil Collins circa in the air tonight, <laughs> if you remember that, <laughs> although my hairline is, is actually not receded, but it's that sort of long grease back hair, so I might look like a yeah. pimp or something, but I'm actually quite happy with it, and after the way my hair has looked for a great deal of time, uh, I didn't tell Amanda about it, and she sort of saw me on the, as she was coming in on the bus, peering out, and was uh, all... Uh, you know, quite excited to see that I'd had it cut. So uh, I'm happier that I actually don't look a complete mess now. Uh, and that's been a few bits that I've been up to. So, uh, Well, Andy, you are a very privileged man, as I am of the age and stage in my genetic period that uh, I have grown through my hairline. And uh, <laughs> I tend to just have a date with the clippers once a month now. But it does make for... Um, you know, quick drying time when you get out of the shower. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess it's Make the also... most of it while you've got it, old boy. <laughs> yeah, and it's something sort of getting used to, because the shortest I'd had mine was grade three, and I know that you've literally gone completely shaved on, on yours, but seeing you, you know, it suits you as well. Um, you've got the right sort of shape ahead for it. Um, but you, you sort of... Can you do the clippers yourself, or do you have to get someone to do yes. it? You can. No, I, I do it. I do it myself. Yeah. Well, I saw Kojak episode, and he was using a normal electric shaver and going over his whole head that himself. Yeah. Um, oh, so... I just use clippers. I don't. I don't use a bic razor. That's a bit time consuming. No, I. Yeah. I, I. I tend to grow a little bit of winter plumage, as I call it, on my face in the winter time, just because working outside. You understand. Um, 
And, uh, you know, when it comes to springtime, as we're about to get to, I just clip my whole head apart from my eyebrows and eyelashes. That's it. You know? <laughs> so each time I have a visit with the clippers, I just do my whole head. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I remember in the lockdowns, I say, I was trying to follow something online and this guy made it look so easy to use clippers himself to actually do. And I like cut all the hair off the, the you know above my ear or something just look ridiculous and of course you've done it and I made a real mess and uh, I thought yeah just just thought to myself I'm kind of happy and, and the thing is as well I'm not you know I'm older now I'm 51 and um you know these are the sort of hairstyles that people had you know in the past and stuff like that so I'm quite happy with it it's tidy and I can look after it myself and if they say oh, we've got another lockdown, then I don't need to get it cut until I can. And at some point, I might just be able to just go straight across the back myself in the line. Um, I wouldn't really fancy it. I'm sure I could get someone uh, to do it that's not necessarily a hairdresser. Just go along in a line now and it'll all be level. And uh, yeah, that'll be that. So anyway, here is a piece I wrote to explain today's show title, Apocalypse Then and Now. Last Thursday, I had some time off and planned to watch the Mad Men Season 1 Blu-ray I bought recently. On a side note, I saw the first episode later on and didn't like it at all. The trouble is you can only read so much about a series before you have to invest in it, as if you read too deeply into it, you will inevitably encounter spoilers. Anyway, out of interest, I also read the full seven-season storyline of the lead character, Don Draper, on Wikipedia, and to be honest, it made Better Call Saul look interesting. (laughs) So, going back to what I actually watched last Thursday, due to the increased promotion of conscription in the UK mainstream media, conscription for a war with Russia, I was drawn to look at what I consider to be the trilogy of nuclear apocalypse films, 1983's The Day After, 1984's Threads, and 1965's The War Game. Here is the write-up from the back of the DVD The Day After. The Day After is a drama about the unthinkable, catastrophic consequences of a superpower nuclear confrontation as it affects average American citizens in the Midwest. The story of what happens before, during and after a nuclear attack makes this film a stark drama of ordinary human lives, of people who laugh, cry, work, play, think, wonder, create, hate and love lives that are changed forever by man's final war upon himself. Here is the write-up from the back of the Blu-ray threads. Nominated for seven BAFTAs. Funnily enough, it's a BAFTAs this evening. It's our version of the Oscars, folks. So I'll start again. Nominated for seven BAFTAs and winning four, including Best Single Drama, this BBC film depicts the effects of global nuclear war on the city of Sheffield. It is unflinching in its presentation of the weeks leading up to the war, the attack itself, and the bleak years of nuclear winter that follow. From its first broadcast, Threads became one of the most significant and influential commissions ever seen on the BBC. 
When the drama aired on CNN in 1985, it was rumoured to have changed President Reagan's nuclear policy, and to date, it has only been seen on UK TV screens three times. So disturbing is the screenplay that special permission from the highest editorial levels at the BBC is required for any TV screening. Here is the write-up from the back of the Blu-ray, The War Game. The war game about a limited nuclear attack on Kent blended fact and fiction to create a disturbing vision of the personal and public consequences of such an attack. Banned from the TV screens for 20 years, it was through its cinema release in 1966 and its Academy Award, Oscar, for Best Documentary Feature in 1967 that it gained a loyal and vociferous following. Now, there are other nuclear apocalypse films out there, but none of them, in my opinion, are in the class of these three. And the reason I... The re, and the, sorry, the reason why I chose to talk about this topic today is, as I said earlier, the increased promotion of conscription in the UK mainstream media, conscription for a war with Russia. Now, some sources say as many as half a million Ukrainians have died so far in fighting this war against Russia, a war which the West has openly admitted to providing the Ukraine with financial support and weapons. Well, how long before the West extends that support into providing their own citizens to fight the Ukraine's ground war against Russia? And how will the West determine which of their citizens are the conscripted ones? Will religious exemptions be allowed for some faiths, but not for others? These are all serious questions which take us back to the three films I talked about. All of these films relate to nuclear war with no ground invasion, as that is how the future of warfare was seen back then. Indeed, many fear-porn protagonists in the so-called alternative media also talk about such things as Poseidon missiles, which apparently could wash the whole of the UK into the sea. But how many of these advanced weapons are we actually seeing used in the Russia-Ukraine conflict? For me, if I were to give a historical comparison to this war, it would be with the Battle of the Somme, a pointless military exercise unless the point was in creating a huge number of casualties on both sides. So that's all I have to say, folks. But Maleficus, do you have any comments on this? Over to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Somme was a, a, a just a meat grinder. Um, anyone that's familiar with Rowan Atkinson's Blackadder Goes Forth, um, there's a, yes, it's a humorous scene, but there's Stephen Fry and uh, Hugh, is it Hugh Laurie? Stephen Fry and Blackadder all stood there, and uh, Stephen Fry plays sort of one of the leading generals. And he says, what we're going to do this time is we're going to, and Blackadder stops him, and he says, we're going to get out of the trenches with our, with our rifles shouldered and calmly walk towards the enemy. He said, how did you know? He said, well, that's what we did the last 15 times. He said, well, exactly. He said, but the Germans won't be expecting it this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Somme was an absolute meat grinder. And, and Andy, on the subject of Ukraine, um, me and uh, my friend Patrick were talking to uh, a friend of mine who lives in Hungary 
uh, Chris, his name is, lovely chap. I've been in contact with him for a long time. I've been sort of making jokes about the fence that they built around Hungary. And, it were, and that was actually the point of conversation. I said, how's your fence holding up? He said, well, there's a few holes in it now. Um, anyway, uh, Hungary obviously borders on uh, that territory, the Ukrainian territory, and parts of Ukraine, what's now Ukraine, used to be parts of Hungary. Um, now, he was saying that a few of his friends uh, a couple of years ago went over there, went over to Ukraine looking for work. And this is straight from the horse's mouth. His friends have literally been press ganged into joining the Ukrainian military. Press ganged. I mean, like in the old days when the Navy used to come ashore and press gang local citizens to join the Navy and there wasn't anything you could do about it. This, that's what's happened to these, these Hungarian guys. They had nothing to do with the Ukrainian army. So it will be interesting, going back to what you said about... Um, what sort of restrictions there may or may not be. I notice um, in the news this week, uh, in fact, eight hours ago, uh, The Guardian has reported Ukrainians can extend their UK visas by 18 months in new scheme. Um, well, does that mean, does that mean we, there'll be no subscri uh, conscription, subscription, conscription for definitely 18 months? Who knows? Who knows? But they are pushing for this um, meat grinder scenario, Andy. And uh, the, the, as far as I can ascertain, what is occurring in, in, in Ukraine is very, very similar to what's occurring in the Somme. It is a meat grinder for poor indigenous folks to be um, mashed up in. I can't think of a, I can't think of a, another way of putting it at this moment in time. But there we go. Um, that's my thoughts on that, Andy. Well, it's interesting because I thought if this conscription goes ahead, that I'd be quite safe because in World War Two, uh, people men were conscripted if they were aged between eighteen and forty-one, and I'm now fifty-one. But I've heard some stories of men as old as seventy being conscripted which i find a bit strange i've typed into google proposed uk uh conscription age um and with the answers at the top what would the uk conscription age be it says um however as the war continued to blaze men age eight between 18 and 41 so this is referring to world war Two except those who were deemed medically unfit or workers in key industries had to register for service. The fighting age range then became bigger, with anyone aged 18 to 51 liable to be drafted. So that's going back to World War Two, And, of course, we know that they're extending uh, the age that... Uh, or rather delaying the age you get pensions and things like that now because they say that people are living longer, and uh, that's not what I see, but anyway... Um, I think that uh, a lot of us could be... Well, actually, it won't affect me because according to the war game film that I mentioned, one of the first things that they do is they round up any dissenters that they know of. And so I'd be well, taken away as a dissenter before they that's even That's exactly conscript. what they did. That's exactly what they did before World War Two with the 18B internment laws. Anyone that had yeah. uh, any opposition to World War Two was rounded up and locked up under terrorist laws that were designed to incarcerate members of the IRA. They were, those laws were then turned on British citizens. Yeah, they've always got on... Uh, they always use things like this. They're set up for something completely different, but 
they can always find something somewhere that they can use, not for what it was set up for, but for completely nefarious means. Um, it amazes me. Though, oh, let's see if we can use this or we can use that. You know, this wasn't made for that purpose. It was made for, as you say, the IRA purpose. But no, let's see if we can, you know, bend it to our advantage. And this is where these people who do these sort of things, they think that they're so damn clever. But deception and lies is one of the worst sins of the lot. Um, and uh, as we know, what they say about traitors, or some people say that, uh, you know, traitors are more dangerous than a the enemy themselves. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, I think if I was press ganged into the military, Andy, they'd end up locking me up anyway. I think I would take a, a leaf out of Desmond Doss's book. Um, he was a a chap who fought for the United States Army. Uh, he was a combat medic. He refused any rifle training he refused to even carry a rifle he refused to take another man's life what he did do was rescue 75 men off of the battlefield so um and was you know one i think he won the bronze star for that um yeah and uh yeah he would have been a conscientious conscientious objector but he ended up receiving um a medal of honor for his actions so there you go um there you go. That's that's yeah. where I'd go with it. <laughs> okay, right. So I'm going to go here to Tom Sharp's satire, in which I will read a brief extract from each of his 16 books. This week, Tom Sharp's ninth book, Ancestral Vices, which was originally published in 1980. Here we go, folks. It was a fine spring morning when Yap was summoned from the library at Ragnall Regis Prison to the governor's office. He had been busy working on a lecture he was due to give to the open university prisoners. It was entitled Causative Environmental Factors in Criminal Psychology and had the paradoxical merit, in Yap's opinion, of being wholly at odds with the facts. All his fellow inmates came from excellent social environments and their crimes had been motivated almost without exception by financial greed. But Yap had long since abandoned his adoration of the facts and with them their correlate the truth. His obstinate adherence to the latter had landed him in prison while his survival there had depended on ludicrous invention. In short, he had resigned himself to himself as being the only certain thing in an otherwise capricious world. Not that he could be entirely sure of even himself. His lingering passion for Rosie Coppet was a salutary reminder of his own irrational impulses, but at least they were his own to cope with as best he could. To that extent, prison life suited him down to the ground. He wasn't expected to be good. On the contrary, as the only murderer in Ragnall, and a psychopathic one at that, he was expected to be extremely nasty. Certainly the warders found his presence useful, and it was only necessary to hint to some bloody-minded embezzler that if he didn't behave himself he'd be sharing a cell with Yap for the fellow to obey prison rules and regulations to the letter. As a result of this horrible reputation, Yap's lectures were well attended. Prisoners handed in their essays on time, and in the recreation room he was listened to without the overt boredom he had produced in the common room at Clune University. 
there were other benefits to prison life. It was practically non-hierarchical, except in the most abstract sense. Yap's dwarf killing put him at the top of the criminal league, and entirely without discrimination in matters of food and accommodation. Even the wealthiest stockbrokers and extradited politicians had the same breakfasts as impecunious burglars and deviant vicars and wore identical clothes. They all got up at the same time, followed the same routine and went to bed at the same hour. In fact, Yap's sympathies were reserved for the warders and ancillary staff who had to go home to nagging wives, dubious suppers, financial worries and all the uncertainties of the outside world. He had even reached the stage where he rejected the cabbage effect of indefinite sentences and had come to view prison life as being the modern equivalent of the monastic vocation during the Dark Ages. It was certainly so in his own case. Secure in the knowledge that he was entirely innocent, his spiritual assurance was complete. It was therefore with some irritation that he followed the warder to the governor's office and stood grimly in front of his desk. Ah, Yap, I have some excellent news for you, said the governor. I have here a communication from the Home Secretary in which he states that the parole board have decided that the time has come for your release under licence. Under what? said Yap. Under licence. You will naturally have to report. But I don't want to leave, said Yap. I've settled in here very comfortably, and I do my best to help the other prisoners, and... Which is doubtless why the parole board have come to their decision, said the governor. I have repeatedly emphasised in my reports that your conduct has been exemplary, and for my own part, I may say I shall be sorry to see you go. And in spite of his protests... Yap was taken back to his cell and an hour later was ushered through the prison gates clutching a small suitcase. He was accompanied by a substantial prison visitor in tweeds. Couldn't be better, she said briskly as they walked towards the car. There's nothing like starting a new life on a fine day. New life, my foot, said Yap and for one mad moment considered returning to his old one by hitting the damned woman. So there you go. Um, Lifkus, <laughs> do you have any questions about the book? Over to you. <laughs> I just like the fact that it's, but I've settled in. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, I have no questions, Andy, but yeah, it was a, a good little bit. I, I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult to... Trying to find bits that people might find, well, hopefully find interesting without knowing the context of the rest of the book, without also giving stuff away. Avoiding... Um, I've tried to avoid profanity. Of course, last week was different. That was really one of the... Um, for me, it was one of the best bits of writing that he did. Um, and that was why I used that bit with a warning beforehand. But, uh, yeah, as I say, the only um, comedic author I read. Uh, there was one... I remember once I was trying to find on Amazon, you know, is there anyone else, I'm looking all over the internet, anyone else who writes like Tom Sharp and all that, and of course his influence were people like P.G. Wodehouse and stuff, which I'm all a bit too old and stuffy for me. Um, and there was one guy who tried to write like him, he was a young guy, and I actually got that book and it was just, you know, it's not possible, you just can't do it. Do you know what I mean? He's got this certain style that can't be imitated. So um, even his final books, which in my opinion... As he got older, the output wasn't as good. But 
it's still worth having them because there's nothing else like him out there. But now it's time for Texmar's Fact Checker, in which Tex gives his interpretation of historical events, which tends to conflict with that promoted by mainstream historians. Today's clip is entitled Tex on Doctorates, which is taken from an undated radio show I have of his, entitled Overwhelming Evidence for the King James Bible. So let me get this lined up on Mute Maleficus and then myself. We open it in VLC, don't we? So just here we are. Three, two, one, and go. You know, I've had <laughs> these Bible colleges that write me letters and say, Dear Mr. Mars, we know that you've taught at three universities and we'll be delighted to give you an honorary doctorate at our Bible college. Some of them actually say, Mr. Mars, if you could see your way to giving us a love gift of $1,000 or more, we will be a, 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 a proud to award you an honorary doctorate at our next commencement ceremony. <laughs> Can you believe that? Hey, it's, that's a good deal, isn't it? Just give them a thousand bucks and you get a doctorate. And, uh, you know, I checked around. Well, there's Dr. Paul Crouch of TBN. He, he didn't earn his doctorate. Honorary. There's a, uh, oh, I can't even, Dr. Billy Graham. Doctor this, doctor. <laughs> hey, friends, if you'll give a $25 love gift, I can name at least 10 fake Bible college diploma mills that'll give you a doctorate, and you too can run around. Dr. Sarah Jones, Dr. Ted Smith, and whatever your name is, you can have doctor in front of it. And most of these religious leaders do. Well, I don't know about Dr. Jack Van Empey, but he's probably, I have never actually met a true doctor that's a, tele- a televangelist or as, as head of one of these big charismatic groups that's a true doctor. And, you know, it makes me wonder. Uh, it's just like these fake Bible scholars. You know, I, <laughs> I don't, you know, <laughs> the whole world is run on fakery, it seems now, as we move into the end times. Yes, so there you have it. That's what Tex thinks. Maybe he's right or maybe he's wrong. But as as we always say on this show, you be the judge. And now Shakespeare's quote of the week. The full multitude that choose by show, not learning more than the fond eye doth teach, which prize not to the interior, but, like the martlet, builds in the weather on the outward wall, even in the force and road of casualty. That's from Merchant of Venice, Act 2, Scene 9. In current language, the majority of fools who choose things only on appearance, trusting what they see or are shown. These people are like martlet birds who build their nests on the outer walls of a building, even in the face of a weather catastrophe. Suggestions for use. A sombre poetical reflection on how easy it is to fool, confound and mislead men when they become a crowd. What happens in the actual play? The beautiful Portia will marry him who will choose the right one out of three caskets, each of which contains a riddle. The Prince of Aragon, one of the suitors, meditates on the content of one of the caskets. Jimmy's comment, as widely known... 
Putin's recent interview with an American journalist was quite extraordinary. There have been so many related comments and observations that even one more may be thought as too much. Nevertheless, among the points discussed during the interview, one seems to have escaped the attention of those whose comments I read or heard. Specifically, one subject touched was the power of America's propaganda. Putin commented on how penetrating, universal and ubiquitous is America's propaganda worldwide, whereupon the interviewer asked him why Russia does not reply in kind. It was a question that I myself would have liked to have asked of Putin, as I have wondered about it for a long time. In fact, when listening to some pathetic propaganda of the American establishment, I sometimes wondered why Russia or China or others do not respond accordingly. I am quoting what I remember from the interview, therefore not literally. Putin said that, in order to duplicate the extent and profound penetration of American propaganda worldwide, the cost would be immense, a cost incompatible with the resources available to his country to ensure a decent and equitable internal development. Putin's answer is remarkably simple and yet, I think, critical. Critical in itself, but equally explaining the immense, overpowering and overwhelming flood of lies expelled by the US Western media machine. Lies remaining mostly unchallenged, not only about Russia, but also about matters closer to home, such as, for example, the Covid colossal bundle and balloon of mendacity that is now slowly, very slowly, unravelling. The whole thing reminds me of a trial in Naples, Italy, where the defendant was accused of selling counterfeit Vuitton ladies' handbags. The defence lawyer stated his case as follows. Your Honour, he said, there are some shops in town where they display and sell glass jars labelled as artist's faeces. The actual term was stronger. Do you really think that an artist's faeces are different from others? My client's case is similar in principle, though not obviously in kind. He is a working man, infinitely poorer than Vuitton. He is a man who tries to make a living by selling his bags. Is he wrong to provide the same exact product to those who couldn't otherwise afford it? To conclude, we are constantly bombarded with pervasive, pernicious, noxious, false and malignant propaganda. But in the end, I am glad that Russia does not respond in kind, for it would be a lowering to the same level of the liars, even if the information from Russia were true. And you can email Jimmy at jimmy.moglia at gmail.com the link to which along with Maleficus's email address maleficus at outlook.com will be available in the post for this show at achshow.com Shakespeare's quote of the week is brought to you by Jimmy Moglia and in particular his your daily shakespeare.com website an arsenal of verbal weapons to drive your friends into action and your enemies into despair so Maleficus what are your thoughts on today's your daily Shakespeare quote the full multitude that choose by show not learning more than the fond eye doth teach which prize not to the interior but like the martlet builds in the weather on the outward wall even in the force and road of casualty over to you excellent excellent um quote there from jimmy really excellent quote in fact i was having the conversation over the uh, um over the weekend with my dad um 
And I'm saying, you know, the, the biggest problem we've got is, you know, it's, it's all the idiots dragging us down with them. Um, yeah, Putin said, in actual fact, Putin um, made the comment on that interview because I've, I've, I've picked that inter- interview apart quite a lot. I've, I think I've been through it about three times. So what in actual fact, what he said is that it just wouldn't be cost effective to try and go up against the might of the of the international media that's largely owned by the US. He just said it wouldn't be cost effective you know, for what they get out of it. Um, but, you know, it just uh, uh, regular listeners, people that have been listening for a long time will know that I had the conversation with my father a few years ago um, regarding this rollout of covid and covid jabs and yada 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 and i said you know dad it's like it's not what you it's not what you think it is and he said oh you know not this conspiracy stuff again you know <laughs> like like he was like he was worn down so worn down by by my um, continuous rhetoric about how how the world isn't what we think it is he said oh not this again i said look i said come on i said he said that was it. He said, look, he said, I might, might not have noticed. He said, but do you really think everyone in the world is that stupid? And I said, yes, Dad, I do. I do think everyone in the world is that stupid. Um, toilet roll, Dad, toilet roll. What occurred with the toilet roll? You know, and, and months later, you have people, literally, I saw people uh, queuing up at Asda, unloading their unloading the boot of their car with all this toilet roll putting it in a trolley and going back to the returns desk (laughs) because that's how stupid people are so that is an excellent and very timely quote from shakespeare by jimmy i I won't go any further than that i think i think i'm sort of preaching to the choir here on this subject anyway but you know yeah great observations by jimmy thank you maleficus and uh okay so now let's Move on to the people who failed to join Sven Longshanks in prison and how they did it segment of the show, which is brought to you courtesy of the British justice system. Sven Longshanks was sent to prison for two and a half years on May the 15th, 2023. For comments he made on his radio show, the archives of which are still available on RadioAlbion.com, a station you could simply stop listening to if you chose to do so, in the same way I stopped listening to the BBC over a year ago when I chose not to renew my television licence. And here are this week's people who failed to join Sven Longshanks in prison and how they did it. First up, road.cc headline, violent driver avoids jail after deliberately ramming cyclist into parked HGV, causing spinal fractures. Next, Northwich and Winsford Guardian headline, Benjamin Kershaw found with £11,000 in stolen cash, avoids jail. Next, Oxford Mail headline, Oxford woman avoids jail after 21 counts of theft. Next, Shropshire Star headline. Paedophile who shared images of children, including one-year-old, with offenders spared jail. And finally, Daily Mail headline. Jilted stalker, 30, who lied that she was pregnant with her ex-boyfriend's child, then tried to frame him as a would-be mass murderer, during terrifying smear campaign is spared jail. 
whilst I could present many, many more headlines. That concludes this week's The People Who Failed to Join Sven Longshanks in Prison and How They Did It segment. So, Maleficus, do you have any headlines for us? Over to you. Wow, that last one that you read out was pretty incredible. You know? Yeah, I had another one already. and I had smearing to... people's... Yeah, I had to withdraw. Sorry, I I had another one actually in there. And then I was going, because I go to the Daily Mail every day, and then this one popped up. I thought, that's got to be the end finally, whatever's in there. So I moved them about and got rid of one that I had, you know. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, well, defamation of character, libelous talk. You know, you can't can't do that. There's certain very, very prominent people got hauled over the coals for for that kind of thing. And... uh, didn't come off nearly as well so um i'm not going to go into detail on that but i've got a couple for you here um telford man who threw a 500 pound not in weight i mean uk pound sterling (laughs) telford man who threw a 500 pound rock of crack cocaine into a garden during a police chase avoids prison um (laughs) 500 pounds that would have been quite a, a in weight that would have been quite a rock i suppose <laughs> to carry around with you um uh cavern footballer this one comes from the irish independent cavern footballer who assaulted referee during match avoids prison there's a, a little bit of footage there of the poor ref out cold on the floor um so yeah i mean like andy you know i could pull up a whole load more this is going on weekly i mean literally just Google of uh, avoided prison sentence or avoids prison or whatever, or, or use your duck, duck, go, whatever. Incredible. The amount of people that are getting away with stuff. But as we covered a, a few weeks or a couple of months back, you know, the UK court system, the UK prisons are that full that some criminals are going to avoid uh, being sent away altogether because they don't have the space for them. Well, as I said before, I know how they could free up at least one space uh, in a reasonable manner without endangering the public. Um, and Sven Longshanks is still in prison, folks, for speaking. So there we go. Thank you, Malifkas. And on that note, um, obviously all these different sections I get material for each week. So I hope you enjoy the formula that we have. And, um, you know, we've you know brought in new... Uh, segments and got rid of old segments and stuff but um with this one if i go in on a tuesday afternoon with the ter- search term like maleficus said avoids jail spared jail something like that i'll get enough on the tuesday afternoon now i start putting together uh, material for the show on the sunday after i finish the show so the work starts straight away but obviously i'm not going to look for anyone spared jail on that day uh, because the courts are closed on that day, it's the weekend. But just going in on the, sometimes I've even got the five stories I need on the Monday, so we've had one day of courts being open. So imagine what I could get if I went in on the Friday. But of course, we've all got things to do, and that's my part of the week when I'm over doing stuff at my mother's and things like that. So it, maybe it's something you want to try yourselves. Um, and we could course, fill up a whole show, Andy, don't you think? We could probably fill up a whole show just reading yeah. off the headlines of people that have got off and yeah. also um around the world um you know think about it that way if you're in a country where uh, your uh, right to free speech is continually being curtailed do it yourself in in your country and see what you come up with and you'd be quite surprised i'm sure so uh, okay uh, let's move on to our well this has been going on for a long time as of december the 1st 2022 
we have actually Melissa, let me ask this question now because there's a lot of areas of this show where i say the same thing every week this is one of them but the reason i do it is i'm giving people the last figures official figures we have from the british government of the amount of people who died or reported having been injured after taking the so-called vaccine and i do it because the government no longer publish those figures do you think it's right to repeat this every week or not um well it still gives us a, a, a it gives us a baseline because you've got to uh, imagine so uh, since december since that december the vaccines have still been going but the information yeah. isn't getting out there so that gives us a baseline um listeners will have to extrapolate for themselves as to as to you know you think that was the first two years of first two years wasn't it of evidence or was it a year yeah. and a half um first two years year and a half but there's the 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 jabs are still out there the jabs are still being given the jabs are still being pushed um so yeah i think you're right to to i think you're right just to reiterate those figures I, I do think you are. I mean, listeners can write in and say, oh, we're fed up with hearing it now. But I think it's a good baseline for any new listeners as well that aren't aware of those facts. I think it's just it's a little caveat that you can put in at the beginning just to put what we're saying into perspective. I think it only takes a few seconds. So I will do that. But we invite yeah. people to write in. Malifka's got his email address out there. It's in the post for the show. But... I'll go back to the script in a moment, but the page that I'm referring to, which is where we got the prints from, it's still on the website, but they don't include the prints in it. But it says here, and it's last updated 8th of March 2023. So that's like nearly a year. So yeah, they're seriously yeah. expecting us to believe that there's no one has reported uh, a loved one having died after taking the vaccine or reported their own personal injuries. If you want to really follow what's going on with the vaccines... Um, have a look at some of the Erica Khan hours on rents.com. Uh, indeed, I listened to one last Monday um, when they had Nurse Anne on, who's a nurse, funnily enough. So she reports from the front line what's going on. And it's people that have had vaccines in the last few weeks and how they've you know, experienced this and that and what have you. So as Malifka said, they're still going out, and not just in the UK, but in the USA. And also they talk about the long-term effects that are now starting to be seen so it is still going on but for some reason they don't want us to talk about it or know about it but uh, as i say well, we also go ahead i'm just going to just quickly jump in there andy also remember the the office for national statistics have stated now that they will no longer be um, giving they might well collect the data but they're no longer uh, uh, giving out the data or or collecting it on deaths by vaccination status We've already covered that on the show uh, several, a couple of months back. So the Office for National Statistics has said that they will no longer be giving out figures on deaths uh, by vaccination status. So, yeah, there you no, go. you're right. And uh, what I'll do is I'm going to read this bit that I read every week and I'm going to ask you to time it. So you can count it up uh, starting from now or if you've got a little timer. Are you ready for me to I've start? I've got a timer. Making... I'm ready, ready to go. Ready? Okay, so let's see how long it takes, how many seconds, and if it's worth repeating at each show. Now, as of December the 1st, 2022, we have a total of 2,362 people having died after taking the fake vaccine and 474,018 people having been injured after taking the fake vaccine. These figures were published on the British 
government's website page entitled Coronavirus COVID-19 Vaccine Adverse Reactions and were aggregated from the totals of the five vaccine analysis prints linked to on that page. I say were because the British government are no longer publishing these as whilst their website page still exists, the five vaccine analysis prints have now been deleted from it so I have absolutely no idea of the official figures today. So Maleficus, how many? How long was that? That was forty-two seconds. Forty-two. I was hoping that's, it was. Uh... Yeah, it's under a minute, isn't it? So it doesn't matter <laughs> yes. saying it each week. I mean, they have jingles on, you know, more well-funded shows, don't they? That uh, we yes. can't afford. So uh, just treat it as <laughs> as one of those folks. Our little live jingle every week. I'll, but, I'll uh... write us a jingle. I'll I'll write us some music to go under that. Oh, you that could bit, do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the uh, this bit as well, because this bit's not going to last much longer. I want to get rid of it now, but Maleficus wanted to keep it in. I had a look, and the petition expires on the 13th or 14th of April. So it seems stupid. We've got less than two months. Let's just follow it through to the bitter end. And that is the UK government petition, Stop the Online it Safety Bill. It will be a bitter end as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, funnily enough, I heard, what was I listening to? I was listening to a show... Um, it was UK show. I'm pretty sure it was Fockham Hall Radio from last Monday. FockhamHallRadio.com. And you might probably know more about this than me, Maleficus, but it turned out that whilst this um, uh, th- this online safety bill got through the House of Lords, because this is what I couldn't understand about. It's already gone through. Apparently, it only went through the House of Lords after a clause removing the legal but harmful aspect of the law. Are you aware of that at all? Right. No, I wasn't wasn't aware no. of that. Well, that's what was said, and I'm, I think it's that show. I'm not sure, all right? So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I've definitely, in the last week, on something that I heard, and it's got to be out of the UK, um, it was, yeah, that, that was taken out. And that was the real, you know, because you could say, if if it's something's legal to say, but well, someone who who wants to persecute you, come after you, even though you're saying something legally, will have the law to do it because they deem it harmful. All right. Well, that's, so that was, that's if you look at the trial with Sam Melia, they actually had to just they although they admitted that everything that he'd put on those stickers were completely legal. Um, you know, it, they they it was there. They wanted to prove that it, it, he had the intent to for those stickers to cause problems, racial problems, whatever. Um, so it was his intent. It was his thought crime that was on trial, really. You know, when yeah. you look at that, it's you know, wrong think, wrong think, people. <laughs> and the other thing with that, that, um, you know, I thought about it. Um, in the past, what they do today... Um, oh, he had a picture of Oswald Mosley on his wall. Oh, he had this on his computer. He didn't circulate it, but he had it. Oh, he made this comment in a text message. Uh, and these sort of things, they were not allowed in the past. All right? But what happened yeah. was to increase the amount... Because a few years ago, there was all these complaints that people were being taken to court and they weren't getting enough convictions. So to do that, they actually allowed this, what I call trial by tabloid. I coined that phrase myself because this is the sort of scurrilous things that, that newspapers do. 
You know, oh, you know, this guy, he's got this on his computer. Because oh, we've even quoted from it in the Sven Longshanks trial. Do you remember that there were uh, yeah. things that they were talking about? And then we were saying, well, why is this relevant? He's not being charged with this. And I couldn't understand it. But now they're allowed to bring it up. And so at the yeah. end of the day, it really doesn't matter if you've got enough evidence to convict someone or not. You just assassinate their character in court and they're going to get found guilty. And in the past, it was things like, you know, if if you've committed, I think Mark Collett gave an example, you know, you're a prolific burglar, you've burgled, been convicted of burglary 20 times. They were not allowed to tell that to the court until after the sentencing. Because if or this guy's if on you, charge... If you... Go ahead. Yeah, if if the if the um, if their solicitor said that he's normally an upstanding man, then they can bring it up because they've lied in court. Yeah, well, um, essentially, um, I don't know if this is. I mean, if this is the same thing as what I was referring to with our, you know, basically bringing up. Oh, we found this on his computer. We found that on it. It's not relevant. Uh, the the immediate answer to that is, well, did he circulate that or not? No, he didn't. Well, that should be scrubbed from the record. But no, you're allowed to say that now in order yeah. to basically paint someone's character that if they say, well, you know, I wasn't intending any harm with this. Well, yeah, but that's what you really think. Yeah, but just because you really think something does not mean that you intend to express those thoughts in public. You see, this is where we've got to really crack down on here because I'm sure the opinions of, people certain people in the alternative media are very different from what they put out there and sometimes not talking about they might not go the whole hog as it were as to you know that saying tell us how you really feel you know stuff like that <laughs> but we know some people that clearly cannot believe what they say because they're you know they're front men or they're whatever um mm. you know they're they're fake alternative media people we referred to earlier and as i say i think that you know probably a the vast, vast majority, 90% of the so-called people out there are probably fake and you've got to be careful with. But there is a difference between what you believe. So you might have something on your computer because you believe that, but you're like, like I was at the hairdresser and he wanted to chat to me about stuff. Well, I could chat to him about a lot of stuff that I don't feel comfortable chatting about in public anymore. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I, you know, wouldn't have you know, been on certain websites to look at certain articles, listen to certain shows, like, you know, I was listening to the right stuff dot biz yesterday. And there was language in there that if we used on the radio here we'd be in terrible trouble. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna listen to it and say it on here. But that's where they're trying to go with it and it's just complete nonsense and it it amazes me how they get away with it. But of course yeah. it that's how it is and that's why you have to be you know, so careful today, certainly in the UK, and it's being picked up all around the world that the UK is really one of the worst countries for this. But anything else yeah. on this before we I move mean, on? That? Just just very quickly, back in the days of, of the Roman Senate, there was a chap called Cicero who said, if you are not afraid to think it, you should not be allowed, uh, not be afraid to say it. Um, that's that's been completely turned on its head nowadays, hasn't it? You know, if you're not if you're not afraid to think it, you should not be afraid to say it. But nowadays, you know, as I say, wrong think people, wrong think. Don't be guilty of wrong think, or at least well, if you are guilty of wrong think, don't let anyone know that you're guilty of wrong think, just in case. <laughs> yeah, and and actually, um, 
I was listening to um, Tony Gosling with Martin Summers. Uh, they do a show every Friday, not the BCFM politics show. And I listen to it every week, download it on the Saturday. And they had um, Julian Assange's father on. Oh, wow. That's um, interesting. Uh, you could get the full interview just of, with him and uh, Tony Gosling and the father because it was a pre-record and they played clips from it. The trouble with their website is it takes about a minute to load up. There's too much on the front page, so it needs to be moved to another page. So when I open it up, I only ever go. I I open up Google Chrome, and I just you know go back to it a minute later while it's all loaded up. Otherwise, just lock everything up. So it's a pain. But see if I can get the address. It's politicsthisweek.wordpress.com. That's politicsthisweek.wordpress.com. Open it up in a different uh, browser. Wait for the browser to load up. Go back to it a minute or two later. You'll see a green button, which is where you download the show. If you right-click to download that, you get asked if you want to keep it um, and all that because that's something Google have done to try and stop you downloading it to think there's a virus. There's no problem. But I believe if you scroll down further and you just want to hear the full interview with uh, Julian Assange's father, but he lamented how the British justice system, once regarded as the beacon of freedom in the world, with the regard to the Magna Carta, has now become what it's become today, which is basically uh, the greatest example of lawfare, how people can use their own opinions to persecute their own people. And even in this case, other people like Julian Assange. So people are noticing this throughout the world. I'm not confident that anything's going to change because uh, these people aren't going to let it change. And that's why I only believe, and I continue to pray my prayer including my imprecatory prayer for who i consider to be the enemies of god it's up to god who his enemies are but i point that out every day in my prayer because i don't see man achieving anything in this because it's only gone downhill folks in my lifetime and in the generations of lifetimes before mine so Mlifkus, any thoughts before we move on no no let's move on i think we've covered that fairly comprehensively yeah, we're definitely not going to meet the 52-minute today. <laughs> just going to say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but some of these quick things are stopping folks in the near future, Tom Sharp and the Text Mars and all these other bits and pieces. So I'm confident we will get there. Just give us time. Uh, so now let's go, well, actually, the petition we were talking about last week had 374 signatures, including Shelley's, Maleficus's and mine. As of yesterday, it has only 379 signatures, so five in a week. Maleficus, now it's time for your great distraction segment of the show. So please pick it up right now. Off you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is going to be. Uh, all, uh, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, come April, oh, I'm sure we'll get the ten thousand signatures come April, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just see how badly we fail. Um, um, okay, so first article I've got for you. What is the what is the similarity uh, between? the mainstream and the independent media folks. So um, this one was actually sent to me by the good Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Uh, now disgraced Dr. Andrew Wakefield targets mumps vaccine with a new Hollywood feature film which claims dangerous jab causes serious long-term health issues. Oh, so Hollywood's jumping on this now, is it? Okay, then. Okay. <laughs> How ridiculous. Oh, dear. Okay, so... Here we go. Mail Online article exclusive. The illness, the illnesses that millennial doctors can't identify, including one 
currently causing huge nationwide surge. Now, we'll get to the huge surge in a minute. But cases of measles, polio and whooping cough have uh, have collapsed. But so jab uptake. Now, I'm really not sure what that bullet. I'm reading that word for word. Cases of measles, polio and whooping cough have collapsed. But so jab uptake. <laughs> this is the, the quality of journalism that we expect from the Mail Online. Maybe because it's not a Mail Online Plus article, they're not so bothered about using the English language. I'm not sure. But anyway, so the idea that doctors, millennial doctors, can't identify measles, polio or whooping cough is utter nonsense the 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 article i am sure if you get to the end of it is probably contesting that uh, the uh, the jabs over the years have made these diseases almost you know uh, almost non-existent and therefore doctors won't have learned about them i don't believe a word of it utter nonsense uh, the, you know doctors throughout their education uh, have all sorts of case studies regarding diseases that may or may not be here anymore but they <laughs> that's part of their education to say that you know what does that say about our education system for doctors if they don't know about measles polio or whooping cough absolute baloney as you would say over the pond so um getting onto one of these uh, uh diseases that is currently causing a huge nationwide surge we're talking about measles so scotland confirms two more measles cases as people are urged to get vaccinated and and i'm not laughing at those that have contracted measles i'm laughing at the huge surge so the huge surge is as follows in the uk 12 percent of cases in london 10 percent in the northwest 10 percent in yorkshire and the humber and nine percent in the east midlands the huge surge, Andy, is 166 cases. A huge surge. Wow. 166 cases out of a population of nearly 76 million. Yes, right. Well, anyway, moving on. Um, I, I don't know whether you've noticed, Andy, but when I'm looking through news feeds over the week, and if I, if I specifically limit it to health feed, the amount of cancer warnings that are coming up so bladder cancer warning sign that can be mistaken for a common health condition another one here mum dies eight weeks after being told she has cancer but doctors said she had a year left uh, man oh this one sickened me man 21 dies just days after being told he has cancer family urges others to seek help gerald green 21 initially hid the cancer symptoms from his parents so really that title should have read son 21 dies just days after being you know, after being told he has cancer um so he'd been coughing up blood you know and he hid it from his parents that's not a man that all right legally he's a man but that's somebody's son so if that article was honest it would have said son of 21 dies just after day 21 years old terminal cancer hmm so we have another thing here. Eye cancer symptoms easily missed as UK cases set to soar. Well, how do they know that? Um, four stages of cancer to know as King Charles diagnosis is caught early. Oh, so, you know, look, this is bringing it all to the forefront, isn't it? King Charles has cancer now as well. Look, you know, so there we go. Um, there is a lot of cancer pushing in the media. It's almost like they just want to normalize it. Like I said before, 
Um, they predicted a couple of years back that there would be a huge surge in cancer because of the lockdowns and people not being able to get to hospitals to be checked out. Oh, really? So anyway, right, moving on. Uh, slightly different subject here. Ethnic bias, delayed care before Liverpool woman's death. So this uh, a cultural and ethnic bias delayed diagnosing and treating pregnant black woman before her death in hospital, an investigation has found. So is, did people really say, oh, no, leave her because of the color of her skin? I don't believe it. That is putting something on the NHS staff that is, you know, when you when you bear in mind what percentage of the NHS staff um, are foreign nationals nowadays? I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it. So this is clickbait for those who wish to believe that sort of thing. Um, so uh, final few articles here for the great distraction. Andy, what is Alaska, Alaska pox? <laughs> Everything you need to know after elderly man becomes the first to die from little known virus. So Alaska pox. There you go. That's, that's the next one. Could this be, going on to the next article, could this be the disease X? Uh, who knows? But Daily Record article here says, everything known about disease X so far as scientists fear the world is unprepared. The mystery illness is on the World Health Organization's list of priority to diseases. But what exactly is it? Well, if you're expecting to get anything from that article as to what disease X is, think again. OK, so final article from me, and this correlates back to what you were saying, Andy, um, regarding, you know, the push for conscription and all that kind of thing earlier. What's the similarity between the mainstream media and the independent media? Uh, World War Three, five chilling signs. UK and US are heading for all out conflict amid global unrest. So uh, there you go, folks. That's what they're gearing us all up for. Um, it's down to the public as to whether they acquiesce to this or not. Um, anyway, that's the end of The Great Distraction. So back to you, Andy. Thank you very much, Maleficus. And now it's time for some of this week's Daily Mail articles that didn't end up behind their Mail Plus paywall. First up, Labour refuses to sack by-election candidate who claimed Israel deliberately allowed October the 7th Hamas massacre to happen so it could justify an invasion of Gaza, despite frontbencher saying he was wrong to say it. Next, Mail on Sunday, Mail on Sunday comment. Now bring Boris off the bench, Rishi. He's your star striker. Next, Revealed. Plot to oust MPs who did not call for Gaza ceasefire as millions of Muslims are urged to punish candidates for failing to back truce in campaign launched by former terror group leader. Next, the real life day after tomorrow. The Gulf Stream could collapse as early as 2025, plunging Europe into a deep freeze scientists warn. Next, back in our loving arms. Hostages freed in IDF raid are embraced by their families, as it's revealed Israeli soldiers use their own bodies as human shields to protect them during gun battle with Hamas. Next, Heinz releases new twist on its classic beans flavour. Here's how to get your hands on a tin before it goes on sale. Next, is Earth on track for a mass extinction? More than 20% of migratory animals are now at risk of being wiped out, 
report warns. Next, Ian Austin. Labour still has much to do if it is to eradicate anti-Semitism as veteran extremist George Galloway and mad conspiracy theorist Azar Ali face each other in by-election. Next, British Gas unveils energy deal promising to beat off-gem price cap until at least July. Next, Putin calls up his dad's army. Russia will raise age limit of military personnel by 20 years to 70, as leader desperately looks for more troops to fight his war in Ukraine, says UK intelligence. Next, exclusive. Almost 1 million homes on Economy 7 energy deals told to get a smart meter or lose cheap cheap off-peak electricity. Next, Non-binary author Lucas Ringefeld's controversial novel about a paedophile who grooms a 14-year-old girl leaves critics sickened, but they still hail the International Booker Prize winner a literary talent. Next, Britain prepares for conflict with Putin. Hundreds of army vehicles head to Poland to join NATO rehearsals for a response to the Russian threat. Next, calls for probe into judge, who let women who wore parachute images at pro-Palestine march walk free, as it emerges he liked post-branding Israel terrorist. Next, Britain rolls mothballed Challenger 2 tanks out of storage to send to NATO's largest military exercise since the Cold War, as Estonia warns Putin is preparing for decade-long conflict with West. Next, Jewish worshippers beaten on way home from prayers, swastikas daubed on side of synagogues, and letters threatening head teachers. Report reveals explosion in hatred towards British Jews as the mass attacks drive anti-Semitism to its worst in 40 years. Next, Russia has now lost 400,000 troops in Ukraine. Grim milestone for Putin as Kiev reveals landmark number of deaths as Moscow continues to send thousands more to war. Next, police probe hate crime in King Charles' model town after racist and anti-Semitic graffiti is daubed on buildings. Next, exclusive. Police are called to exclusive. Police are called in to guard Jewish actress playing Shylock in the Merchant of Venice adaptation set in a 1930s London at the Criterion. And finally, Salisbury's first ever Muslim mayor, who was expelled from the Tory party in anti-Semitism row, suggested Jews were responsible for Jesus's death. Okay, that's almost it for me. So, Maleficus, please close out your contribution to today's show with your news roundup of the week. The floor is yours. Wow, that was uh, yeah, that was quite a barrage, Andy. Um, okay, so um, on a on a um, slightly different note, uh, going back to the doctors' thing over here, the locum that 
So that's sort of like a temporary doctor over here. So it's someone who, who comes and fills in a place at your local surgery while someone else is on holiday. So the locum GP won't see you now. Freelance doctors who charge up to £850 a shift can't get any work while we wait weeks for appointments. So there is that. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's one here from... Uh, here's a website for you folks to go over and have a little look at and have a little rummage around uh, it's called carbon brief so www.carbonbrief all one word carbonbrief.org and it asserts today or a couple of days ago the average uk winter has become around one degree celsius warmer and 15 percent wetter over the past century new carbon brief analysis shows so if you want to keep up to date on what they're pushing as far as air tax goes go and have a little look at the carbonbrief.org or carbonbrief.org should i say um telegraph here says climate change row as british scientists claim the day after tomorrow modeling is wrong so a prediction by a dutch team that vital atlantic systems could reach a tipping point and trigger a new ice age has been forced quote, unquote, say experts. So there you go. There's a little bit of infighting there as well. Yeah, you know, we want the narrative on climate change. We want the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there's a thing here. Uh, UK, uh, UK's electric vehicle strategy needs a rapid recharge, says the committee in, at the House of Lords. So um, they're basically just saying, they only make up 3% of all cars currently on UK roads. Yes, that's they're so bloody expensive, folks. Your average Joe can't <laughs> afford an electric car, all right, let alone all the nonsense you need to get installed in your house to have the blooming thing charge. So there is that. Um, they're saying they're still more expensive than petrol diesel counterparts. Um, and many customers face considerable anxiety, Andy, around whether whether and where they will be able to charge their electric vehicles reliably, affordably and quickly. There is no quickly, folks. There is no quickly. So if you want to, if you, you're on a journey, you come down to Cornwall and you, you stop near me, I'm kind of in the middle of Cornwall and you still need to get all the way back down to, you know, the far southwest like Penzance or Land's End, whatever, um, you're going to have to stop off at a garage and, and uh, refuel. But refueling is not like it is for us folks who have the petrols and diesels and it's literally minutes you know you know, take the cap off put the put the nozzle in pull the trigger for a, a couple of minutes whatever or a minute and um and you're away again and you sit and look over your shoulder at all these idiots trying to entertain their kids trying to do something while they're waiting for their car to charge now here's a thing with these these cars you can put them on a fast charge so it doesn't take you quite as long but over time, it wrecks the batteries. So, yeah, your choice. Um, so anyway, there's, there's more to be uh, read out on that. But uh, for the sake of brevity, uh, by all means, just go and have a look at committees.parliament.co.uk. Um, sorry, committees.parliament.uk. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's actually quite a lot on that, on that site to, to have a little rummage around. Um, so anyway... Uh, this this one will make you sick, Andy. I'm going to send you I'm going to send you the link for this as well. <laughs> uh, 
So just just bear with me, folks. Just sending Andy the link. Scientists grow meaty rice hybrid food for Ugh. protein kick. It looks revolting, doesn't it? Well, I don't eat rice either. That's the weird thing. So I've always struggled with like um, Chinese restaurants because I don't like noodles either. Whereas in yeah. in the, I mean, funny enough, I'm going to have a chicken vindaloo for lunch, but I have it with naan bread, and so I'm quite oh, okay. happy with naan bread. But in Chinese restaurants, you don't have anything like naan bread. It's either rice or noodles. So I've always yes. been a bit stumped. Back to you. Right. Well, the rice is seeded with animal muscle and fat cells. Yummy. <laughs> to me, it looks like an experiment gone wrong that they're trying to palm off on the public and say, look, look what we can do. <laughs> I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole, folks, please. <laughs> um, so another thing about the NHS, NHS over here. So NHS dentists exam could be scrapped for overseas applicants. Um, so it says here, uh, foreign dentists to be allowed to work in the UK without qualification checks because the government plans to boost the dental workforce by cutting red tape. So uh, <laughs> watch this space, folks. Uh, doesn't doesn't bode well, does it? Um, so what was the other thing I'd got here? Uh, oh, British. Oh, so here we go. Yeah, Europe, Europe Live. British shadow minister calls for EU and UK security pact. Did we ever leave Europe, folks? Did we ever leave Europe? Um, and finally from me, this is an article from The Express by, by the former MP Anne Widdicombe. I'm assuming she's, she might still be serving as an MP, actually, Anne Widdicombe. But she, the, the title, this is for you folks over the pond there uh, in the US. Bumbling Joe Biden must forget about running again. Well, Anne, I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Back to you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maleficus. Last item, Daily Mail headline. Dead Indian woman comes back to life in a hearse moments before her own cremation after her husband declared she had died in an accident. On that bombshell, you have been listening to The Lime Is Episode 156, Apocalypse Then and Now. We Lime Is will be back with you next Sunday. Peter and I will be back with you on Tuesday. And until then, folks, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week and bye for now.